When I think of oneness, um, I think of like when I come home from work, Jody knows exactly what kind of day I had. We have that oneness, that connection. Or unity, I think about that feeling when I was a high school, believe it or not, I played trombone in high school. Can you believe that? Um, And uh, I was in this trombone section in my high school band, and we were horrible. We were awful. But I somehow made all-conference band. I don't know how it happened. It came as a complete surprise to me. And then I participated in the all-conference band. And this, the first time that that section of trombonists played together, oh my goodness, it was unbelievable. I'd never experienced anything like that. And I still get goosebumps. And I'm not a big musician, but that was incredible. That unity, that complete harmony was unbelievable. And then that peace... Peace, a lack of worry, a lack of, a lack of stress, kind of a calmness. So we're going to talk about being a church that's one, a church that's unified, a church that has that resulting peace from those components today. Now, our unity is rooted in our faith, right? Our unity is rooted in our faith in Jesus Christ, who... With that faith, sent the Holy Spirit to empower us. And in order to be a differentiator in the world, we need to show that fruit. Galatians talks about that fruit. We put that slide up. Galatians 5 talks about that fruit. And I'd like all of us to read this together, please. Again, audience participation today. So sorry about that, but I think, I think it's okay. Let's go ahead. The fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. Here we go. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, I want you to take a few moments. Read that slide silently to yourself. I want you to ponder each and every characteristic of that fruit. If you need to, to just get that centeredness, go ahead and close your eyes. I have a question for you. How did you do this past week? And after you've thought about this past week, let's think about the coming week. What do you got coming at you this week? How are you going to demonstrate the fruit? How will you ask the Spirit to empower you? to equip you? What disciplines will you need to employ to demonstrate the fruit? What are the triggers that prevent the fruit from being displayed? By demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit, we differentiate ourselves in the world. We'll learn later that we become attractive to the world that we draw people to us. All right, thank you for that. Now, one of the things I want to make sure we're all aligned on is truly what we believe. And there's a creed that we don't say very often anymore, isn't there? It's the Apostles' Creed. I'd like you to all stand, please. 
let's say the Apostles' Creed together. This is what we believe. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Thank you. You Be seated. So let's dig into our word today, the word of God. And this is a day where um, I'm not just going to offer the opportunity to open your Bibles. I'm going to really, truly ask you to open your Bibles because I want you to truly follow along with Scripture as we read it together. Um, Whether it's on your app, and if if you do open the Bible on your app, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. So go ahead and open up that version if you open up the app. Otherwise, we've put red Bibles um, in, the, in the seats. So they're right next to you. They're, they're, everybody should have access to a Bible. So open up your Bibles to John chapter 10. Verse 14. <clears throat> and let's see what, first of all, Jesus speaks to us about unity and oneness. John chapter 10, verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. You notice what Jesus says? He says, I'm, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. You know, sometimes we can get a little self-centered. Sometimes we can say, the church is here in this building, and we're not maybe spending enough time looking outward. And the Jews made that mistake, didn't they? The Jews thought they were the chosen one. The Gentiles be damned. And Jesus said, no. He says right here, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Notice how he says at the beginning, I know my own and my own know me. We talked a few weeks ago about about being chosen, about being a part of, Christ's kingdom because of our belief, but not because of anything we did. Works doesn't do it, folks. 
It has nothing to do with performance. It has to do with God's grace, 100%. My own know me. And of course, I am the good shepherd, the one that's watching his flock. All right, thank you. Let's move over to John 17, verses 11. And I am no longer in the world. Oh, time out. So this is, a, this is known as the high priestly prayer. The high priestly prayer. First time, believe it or not, I, this is the first time I knew that. Um, it's the longest prayer that Jesus prays in the Bible. And uh, just as a reminder, kind of a context, what's the high priest? The high priest in the Old Testament, in the Jewish nation, whether it be the, the temple or the tabernacle, the high priest went into the Holy of Holies. So the, the center where God's presence actually rusted, it existed. They actually tied a rope around the high priest in case, in case it became so overwhelming. And that's where that high priest interceded for the people of God. So interceded for the, the Jewish people, prayed prayers and offered sacrifices. So this prayer by Jesus is immediately before he gets arrested. So that's the context. Immediately before he gets arrested, and he's praying for his apostles. Okay, but the prayer expands from there. So, high priestly prayer, verse 11, chapter 17 of John. And I am no longer in the world. He knows he's ready to leave, be crucified. But they, meaning the apostles, are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. That they may be one, even as we are one. He's praying to the Father. The unity of Jesus and the Father. What's that unity? That unity is they're both God. They're both divine, right? There's, a, there's an inseparable quality there. And he's asking the apostles, for, he's asking his father to have the apostles feel that same, have that same unity. That's incredible. It's the first time that ever hit me. Let's go on. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. That's, of course, Judas Iscariot. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. The world has hated them. We will suffer persecution for being Christians. Because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them. In other words, make them holy. Your word in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. For their sake, I consecrate myself, that they may also be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. There we go again. Not just the apostles, but those who hear the word of Jesus through the apostles. 
that they may all be one, that they may all be one, just as you, here we have it again, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I'm sorry. I, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Carrie, there it is. Right? Right there. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved, loved them even as you loved me. Do you know where the first orphanages got started? Church. How about hospitals? Church. Jesus Christ was born 0, zero AD, right? Somewhere in there. Died 33 AD. Do you know, and of course, what happened to the apostles? Who, who was persecuting them? Roman Empire. Roman Empire was completely pagan. Many gods persecuting Christians right and left. Every apostle was killed by the Romans or a part of the Roman Empire, except one. And he was put on an island to die. Do you know that less than 300 years later, Christianity became the religion of the Roman Empire? That's a pretty short period of time, relatively speaking. And that's because Christians were differentiating themselves from everybody else. And we're going to talk a little bit more about those characteristics that they showed in day-to-day life. I love what a commentator said. um, Christian unity is a unity that transcends. And I wrote down here, imagine the impact of that unity for a community such as Norwalk. It convinced the world of the truth of Christianity such that Rome, as I said, went from a pagan-centered empire to a Christian-centered one. The, uh, the study notes in my Bible, I thought, summarized it well. The kind of unity that is central to Jesus' high priestly prayer is not organizational, but is all-encompassing relational reality that binds believers together with each other and their Lord a unity that can be achieved only through the regenerating and sanctifying work of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Whenever such unity is even partially realized, the result will always be deep joy, persuasive witness to the world, and a display of God's glory. All right, let's move on to Matthew 18. Matthew chapter 18, verses 19 and 20. So this, this talks about how large the church needs to be in order to be powerful and impactful. Let's take a look at verse 19. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. 
don't need to have 100 people to be transformational. We don't need 100 people to be together in order for Christ's name to be proclaimed. It just takes a couple. It just takes a couple. All right, let's move on to Paul. So Paul is preaching to, uh, writing a letter to the church in Ephesus. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. So um, my section is labeled Unity in the Body of Christ. So Paul is preaching to the church in Ephesus. The Ephesus church is a pagan, it's a pagan, uh, I'm sorry, not the Ephesus church. The town of Ephesus is a pagan town. In fact, um, Ephesus had a huge um, temple to the god Artemis. In fact, it was one of the seven wonders of the world at the time. So, very, very pagan culture. This church in Ephesus is getting started. Paul is encouraging them in his letter to them. So, let's, let's read 4, chapter 4, verse 1 together. Um, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. So, Paul is in prison in Rome when he's writing this. Urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing each other in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Before I move on, I, I really appreciated um, a commentator's definition of, of, those, of those characteristics. Humility. There was no Greek word for humility. That culture didn't, know, didn't believe in it, didn't know what it was. Humility comes from self-knowledge, setting ourselves in comparison to Christ, and realizing without God, we are nothing. We have a total dependence on him. Let's talk about gentleness. He described it as, God's gentleman. Being angry at the right time, never angry at the wrong time. A person who has everything under control, complete self-control. How about patience? Patience endures to the end. Christian patience is a spirit which never admits defeat, not not deterred by disappointment, discouragement, and persists, and endures to the end. It bears the foolishness of people without irritation. I love the analogy he used. He said it's like the puppy that is bothering the grown-up dog, and that grown-up dog just ignores him, lets him play. And And then there's love. In Greek, four definitions of love, four different words, I should say, for love. Uh, He's talking about agape love. Not emotional. It's goodwill to the unlovable. It's loving those who we don't like. It's seeking nothing but the highest good for every person, no matter what that person has ever done to us. And then peace, a sacred oneness, a right relationship 
between persons. Verse 4, there is one body, there is one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, Master, one faith, Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. One baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But here it is, grace. But grace is given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Can't earn it, folks. Let's go over to verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Our church body doesn't work together unless Christ is at the head. And I love kind of the visual that he gives us, Paul gives us with talking about the joints. I think about how intricate the human body is and how every single part has its own functionality and its own purpose. The eye, you know, Scripture says the eyes don't hear and the ears don't see. This community of believers is the same way. We each have our unique spiritual and physical and servant-hearted gifts. Working together, complementing one another, we can fulfill the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. Go out into the world and make disciples of all men and all women. So what's our opportunity? Our opportunity as a church, both Crossroads and the church, capital C, is to first pray for one another and ask for prayer when needed. That's a key part too, by the way. If we don't know you're hurting, if we don't know you've got something going on, the body of Christ can't come around and help and support and love on us. Serve one another, fellowship with one another, hang out together, have fun together. Study God's word together, both individually and together. It only takes two together into my name. And then love one another as Christ loves us. That sacrificial love, that washing each other's feet type of love. How many of you saw Jesus Jesus Revolution? How many saw the movie? Highly recommend it. It's pretty good. Kelsey Grammer, right? Grammer, Kelsey Grammer. Um, There's a scene in the movie where, so just real quick background. um, It's... The Jesus Revolution of the, what, what was that, 70s? Yeah, 70s. Um, the elders of the church didn't like these hippies, and hippies, there's real hippies, coming into their church. No shoes, no socks, dirty feet. Pastor, we just installed the new shag carpeting. They're getting it all dirty. That is a line from the movie. What does he do? He sits down at the entrance of the church and he washes each and every person's feet as they walk in, gets them dried off, has them go sit down. It's that kind of love. 
It's that kind of willingness to bow down to one another as a servant, as a helper, as a partner. And then I think it also involves holding each other accountable. When a brother has sinned against us, Jesus prescribes what we do in those situations. And finally, I think it's making sure we're inviting people who don't have a church right now. Hey, come on. We've got a good thing going over here at Crossroads. Um, we got a community. Have you noticed our community has a few new houses in it? Anybody have any idea how many new houses are being built? I, I was going to look it up. I didn't look it up. Throw a number out. Anybody have any sense? Yes. Every month. 16 to 55 new families moving into the area every month, folks. What? More than one. Exactly. Let's get them invited. Let's get them coming to church. Especially those little ones. They need to hear Jesus, don't they? They need to grow up in the church so that they can withstand what's coming at them when they graduate high school, in high school, in middle school, and in college. Dustin, I lied. I'm going to pray. Sorry. That's an inside joke in the green room. We can talk to you about that later. Father in heaven, I'm so thankful for this church. Thank you for everybody here. Thank you for the sacrificial love that they demonstrate to one another. Thank you for their focus on prayer. Thank you for the fact that there's no judgment. There is no, there's nothing but grace. There's acceptance. There's support. Oh, God, please make us an instrument of your love to everybody here in Norwalk. Let's be different than others demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. Let's be intentional about doing that every single day, knowing we can't be perfect, knowing that it's a journey, not an event. It's a process, not an event. A process of being sanctified. And that's okay. One perfect person lived on this earth, and that's you, Jesus. You took every sin from every one of us, put it on you, put it on the cross so that we might be found righteous. Father, thank you for your gift of Jesus. As Easter is a couple weeks away, we're going to celebrate that sacrifice and that resurrection. So thankful, Lord, for everyone here. I ask that you put blessings in each and every one of their families and on their lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.